Welcome to Shoot First, Ask Questions Later, where we research the response of our past and review their relevance for today. This is your host, Moshe Kurtz. Welcome, my friends, to another episode of Shoot First, Ask Questions Later. Today, we are going to take you on a little bit of a safari, and we're going to be discussing today the elusive uh, zebu and buffalo and other kinds of wonderful, marvelous animals that I had to put into the Google search engine to figure out what they are. And uh, joining us today to discuss this is Rabbi Binyamin Fishman. And we're going to be discussing not just these really fascinating, marvelous animals, but what their kashra status means for the broader question about how we establish normative halachic practice. Rabbi Fishman is a Rebbe at Yeshivas Derech and Or Sameach and is a highly regarded lecturer in Halacha and Hashkafa. He is a graduate of Orla Gola and of Kolel Toras Chaim and is a certified Mashkiach Kashras by the Rabbanut of Israel and by Rav Mordechai Kuber. In addition, he is an associate director of the Chol Banayich Community Programs based in Tel Tzion, Israel. He's involved in numerous programs aimed at promoting a balanced Torah lifestyle for individuals and for communities. Now, to find out more about his projects or for more information about speaking arrangements, uh, he can be contacted on his email, which we will make sure to include in the show notes. Make sure to go there to find the email address, bfishmanderich at gmail.com. Okay, I read it out. There you go. Okay, so Rabbi Fishman, Hello. it's a pleasure to have you with us all the way from Eretz Yisrael. And uh, you picked what is a very exciting topic. I, as I said, I had to go on Google and figure out what a zebu is before we could even discuss it. So if you could first tell our audience, uh, who is likewise like me and doesn't know these things, what is a zebu? And I think we're going to be looking at a tshuva of the Chazanish and also Rabbi Yisrael Belsky making a debut on the podcast. I didn't realize Rabelski actually had formal shows and shuvas that were published. I certainly knew he was a posek, but I didn't know he had his own shows and shuvos. So maybe you could tell us first what a zebu is, a little bit about the Chazanish and Rabelski, and then what is the topic that we are really sinking our teeth into today? No pun intended. <laughs> well, it's a very meaty subject, but we'll... <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> great to be here. Great to finally see you in person as close as Zoom can be in person. Um, so first off, a zebu is a kind of cow. It's a regular cow. It's na- native to South Asia. It um, The specific unique part of the cow, I don't know, if we, is it possible to put the picture on the screen of, the, of it? Um, I can't, but you know what? Um, anyone who puts zebu into their, their search engine, unless you're able to share. <laughs> Most people um, are listening over audio, but you, you got, uh, okay. got to imagine like a camel. Uh, it's like a camel hump yeah. on it, right? It has, it has a big camel. It's a cow that has a camel hump right above its neck. And it also has very loose skin um, right around its neck hanging down. If you picture like a, a turkey's waddle almost. So it has a lot of loose skin hanging down. And it has that hump. Now, specifically, what makes the zebu an interesting kind of cow, we'll get to more of the details of it, but it, it works very well in hot or, or not quite desert, but more arid countries. It's we're, we're used to thinking of like American cows, 
which are made, the, the, they're using green pastures in America with lots of land, or the Angus or even the Wagyu in Japan, this kind of cow is much better for more aerotype places, which means it's much more sturdy, much more of a, much, much more able to be transported a bit. And we'll see that that was very important. Um, the question of Zebu came up, again, just a drop of that history, in when the when the state of Israel was founded, 1948, and had all these Jews coming back, there's a big question of where to get meat from, and Israel couldn't really have meat from. You didn't really have cows. Cows don't really live in Israel that well to have be able to supply all these new people coming. But they found there's a lot of zebu, some in Israel, and also they were able to shecht in South America, um, and overseas. The zebu was was able, as I, I think, also in North Africa, um, it was it, it was much more accessible. The, you know, they weren't going to start sh shipping from North America, but they could ship meat. They could have people go to North Africa or even South certain places. So the zebu was able to live in those places. Um, the question actually came up in the nineteen uh, Rav Yitzchak Herzog, the chief rabbi, was asked from a community in France, actually, but connected to Israel. He asked. Where they were asked about whether this is kosher, and Herzog held it was very clearly kosher. But even though he was the chief rabbi, and he could have definitely have said it's kosher, and he had a long twenty-page tshuva that's kosher. He felt he wanted to make sure he get the the scum of the agreement of the Chazanish of Avi Mishaya Karelitz, um, who was the leading. He was considered the leading authority in Israel from nineteen thirty-three when he came to Israel until he passed away nineteen fifty-two fifty-three. Um, he was the the authoritative figure in Israel, the the undisputed Hosek, the leader of the of the Orthodox community um, during the, all the battles of the founding of the state and the nature of the state. He was the when he said when he said something, it went. So if he um, gives you a green light, Kalva Chomer, everyone else is pretty much going to give you a green light. Exactly. Nobody's going to nobody's going to argue at that point. So that's why he wanted the Chaznish to give him a green light. And to his chagrin, the Chaznish didn't. Uh, Chaznish gave him a red light, which we're going to talk about. I'm not, um, I'm not, I'm not you know, super surprised <laughs> about that. But what what was the reasoning behind that? So uh, I, I just want to talk a drop about what else we'll go into the reasoning. He of was course. coming, but, but he was coming from so he was coming from the the option of the postkin. So we're gonna, we're gonna, we'll take this topic through uh, because there's a parallel topic besides zebu, which is the American bison. In America, it's very common they want to be able to, to shech the bison. They've actually crossbred bison and American cow. I think I think they they call it the the beefalo. I think they call it um, because it because it's it's a lower fat content meat. The thing about the American bison, which is also it's not really a typical kind of cow. It, it, it's a cow, but it's not the typical Angus, typical, when you go to the farm, you don't usually see bison. They roam wild. And we're going to learn, that's the big question. You have a wild or new type of species. Can we assume it's automatically kosher? And the big post in America dealt with this is Rebelski, who was very emphatic that it is kosher. Um, so just a drop that Rebelski. There, there might be bigger postkin than Rebelski, but Rebelski definitely is unique in that not only was he a posek in all of Shulchan Aruch, all of Torah, he has chubas and kachim and his he has everything, but he also is singular in his knowledge of scientific information. Oh, wow. He, 
um, just a, a couple of examples. He, he, he would go out to camp a good in the summertime. Um, one time they noticed he was walking with the Talmud at nighttime and looked up and said, hey, that star is not supposed to be there. And next day he called NASA and it turned out that there was some star that comes like every 50 years. It's not a heaven's comet. There's a star that appears. And that was the night. It was the first night that it appeared in over 50 years. Wow. If you look in the, look in the art school, Gamaras, all the astronomy, all of the scientific information, even though he never went to college, but he felt he has to know the, the reality of things in order to rule. One of those real quick, this just blows you away. He was the, the leading post-state of the OU, along with Balakhan Herschel Schechter, of Schechter and Rebelsky, the two post-game. Um, he's with Survey Shochet and Moral. So one time he went to a factory to supervise the meat production. You know, after the street, they had to cut the meat and this. And he saw that the non-Jewish workers weren't listening to the Mashkichim. I was like, well, now what, what do these rabbis need? No. So he called them all over. He went over to a carcass of a cow that had been cut up and dissected. And he reassembled the cow, putting all the meats, of, all the cuts of meat back together like a puzzle to reassemble the cow in order to show the, the workers that the rabbis know how meat's supposed to go and what to do. Can't pull a fast one on us. Exactly. He, and and this knows- makes sense that Rav Belsky, as you mentioned, was one of the main poskim for the OU. And so even though, of course, he had a mastery of Kolotora Kula, Kashrus was something that he frequently was asked to poskin on. And so it makes sense that this kind of comes to his desk to poskin on the nature of bison and zebu and other species that are ambiguous. Exactly. He's one of the leading authorities worldwide on Kashrus. And we look in the Shadows and Chuvas, the, a, a good fifth of the child is all about kashrus, including the standards. He set a lot of the standards that other organizations use besides wow. the OU. Um, and he also has hundreds of unpublished chuvas that are published internally on, on the OU from Meshkitim. So this is where this this is where the, the background. Yeah, this is important because many times, you know, you look up, um, you have a quick uh, technical kashrus question about a certain kind of uh, material. Can it be kashrus? You Google it, an OU article comes up, it cites Rev Belsky, but here we're actually looking at his the primary source, his actual writings. So he, you said, right, the Chazanish gave a more machmer psaki, he took a prohibitive stance, which I think you'll unpack for us in just a moment. And then Rebelsky is the one who's going to push back on the machmer position of the Chazanish, right? Correct. And, and just to be fair, at the time... The big person who pushed back was of Herzog, as I mentioned, the chief rabbi. But I'm using Rubelski. They, they have a similar line. Rubelski is a bit more concise, and he adds some extra punch, if you will, that's mm. very relevant and very much more relevant for us. He adds some nuances that's going to be very important for us. I'm oh, yeah. Just... I, I, I make sure to read the Shah's Achuvas ahead of time. I'm very excited. <laughs> if, if you don't cite certain lines, I'm going to make sure to do them because they, they are very punchy. But I think also yeah. from a social standpoint, uh, Rav Her- for Rav Herzog, it was in a little bit of a different community than the Chazanish. Rav Belsky, my understanding, is very entrenched within the Olam HaYeshivos. So this is coming internal. This is internal disagreement. Exactly. So That's it's right. more likely to be accepted. Uh, when it comes from someone like Rev Belsky. And I guess we'll talk about toward the end of the episode uh, what actually happened in Yende, who <laughs> became accepted. So I'm looking forward exactly. to learning about that. But first, let's understand what their machlokis is all about. Okay, so let's let's unpack. So the, the big, there's something unique with kashras of animals 
Um, we're used to thinking of kashrus as very binary, right? You have fish. This is, but you have fish, right? Fish, if they have fins and scales, they're kosher. If they don't have fins and scales, they're not kosher. Taking it, what kind of scales and this, but if the kosher is, they're not kosher. You have birds. The Torah lists 24 types of birds. If you know which are not kosher, if you know that a bird is one of those 24, it's not kosher. If not, it's kosher. It's either kosher or it's not kosher. Very binary. The, when it comes to animals, we have a, we have a, a very unique case of it, right? So we, we all know animals have to have split hooves and they have to chew their cud, right? The two signs of a kosher animal. But there's really two types of kosher animal. There's what's called behema and there's what's called a chaya. Behema, we, we would translate it as domesticated animals and chaya or wild animals. So the classic example of a chaya would be, say, a deer. And the classic example of behemoths would be as a cow and sheep and goats. Mm-hmm. Right? The Torah list, there are three types of behemoths, domesticated animals that are kosher, cow, sheep, and goat. And there are seven types that are not, that, that are chayas. Again, they're kosher, but they're chayas. Now, what's the difference between a behemoth and a chaya? And an animal, all of their name tastes just as good. But it's not mm-hmm. true because there are certain differences, not getting to all the details of it. The main two differences that are relevant is that we know that when you have a, an animal, let's say you have a cow, and you size shechting it, you have to devein, get rid of the vein, get rid of some of the of the, the, the sciatic nerve, and you have to get rid of some fats. There are a lot of fats of the animal that are famous called chaylev, and the chaylev of an animal, of a cow, is prohibited. The, the, the Torah says chaylev is one of the things that goes up when they offer it as a sacrifice, a korban, it goes up in the mizbeach. And therefore, since it's part of that, we don't, we don't, we can't eat it. Whereas chaya is not used as a korban, and the fat of a of a of a tear, let's say, is not prohibited. So very simply, if you shech a, a cow, you're gonna have to get rid of a lot of fat. That's the fat that's on the kidneys, all the other places. Very hard and labor, laborious to do. And if you shech the deer, you don't have to take care of it. So very, that's a major, major difference. Okay. Now the problem is that there are seven types of kosher uh, wild animals, chayot that are mentioned, and, th- and there are three types of kosher behemot. But again, there's a lot of gray area, right? So for instance, let's say you talk about a cow. So we know a cow is a cow, right? But what about a yak? What mm. about a bison? What about a water buffalo? You know, one of the uh, wild animals called a tao is probably was, was some sort of wild ox. That means if you have an ox, if you have a wild ox, is this the kind of ox that's going to be prohibited or it's going to be permissible? There's this confusion in, in, in identifying what is what. So the Gemara says, how are you going to figure it out? We're going to give you signs of the horns. And the Gemara gives a whole list if the horns are this kind of horn, if it's flat, if it's curvy, if it's all kinds of nuance. Um... So that's how you can determine whether it's an, a behema or a chai, whether it's a domesticated animal or non-domesticated animal. This is through the Gemara and the Shulchan Aruch. Um, the problem comes in, the Shach, there's one of the commentators, so the Shulchan Aruch was written in roughly the early 1500s. Okay? It codifies all of this. Just to speak outside, there, it says, a behema, a kosher animal has split hooves and chooses cod, that's in Simon Ayin Tet, 79. You're there, 79. That's in general. Now, what's, what's a chaya? That's, that's chapter 80, Simon 80. And it says, it starts describing the horns. 
comes along the Shach of the Sifse Cohen, written by um, Mashabsi Cohen, um, and he write, he's writing in the early 1600s. And he says, if you want a description of all of the, the way the horns look, hmm. look in the Yosef. He wrote discuss it there. I'm not going to tell you about it because animals are not. Oh, if it is not eaten without a without a tradition, you have to have a tradition in order to eat it. And therefore, I'm not I'm not going to bother getting into the details of the of the of the uh, of the of this. What kind of horns? Or yes, what kind of horns? Not. Right, his his language is it's very short. He says, mm-hmm. Since all we have is basically whatever we have a, a tradition for, as he we mentioned in Simon Pei Bay's Gabe Simanaya Of, so therefore Katsarti. Uh not much for me to talk right. about because we just seemingly what he's saying is we just whatever we have a Mesora for, whatever has been passed on to us through tradition is good. And we cannot start introducing new kinds of species or animals. And I guess the big question here is, is whether these different kinds of uh, zebus and buffaloes and bison and what have you, are they a new animal or maybe they're just a kind of cow? And, right. we, and, it's, and we're not actually introducing anything new, which I think is right. something Rebelsky himself mentions. Right. And, and, and there's even a, a, a slightly bigger problem over here. Because he says we don't eat, so there's two ways of understanding that sentence. I, I want to set up the the two ways of, of understanding it, and we'll see because that will lead into the machlokas chazanish and Rebelsky is really trying to pick up on this point. Um, you could say it means we don't eat animals unless we have a masora. That means if we don't have a masora, we won't cheat the animals being kosher. Mm. So what that, what does that mean? So again, we, we have cow, sheep, goat that are domesticated. And then we have, let's say, deer, right? Deer, is, is it's worth mentioning, by the way, um, a side point, but it's very important that the post can mention it. Deer, everybody understands deer is kosher. Why? Because deer horns are very different than cow horns. Now, mm-hmm. if you don't call them horns, we call them antlers. They're made of different, they blood, they fall off, they go up. So the deer family, everyone knows is kosher, right? Deer, moose, elk, uh, reindeer, caribou, um, but besides that, if you don't have Masoda, you can't eat it at all. That's why we're reading it. Now, this is very problematic. This is a very difficult way to understand it. Because if he's saying this, where is he getting it from? Where did this come up? What do you mean do we have to have Masoda? The Shulchan Aruch was written 100 years earlier. The Shulchan Aruch didn't say this. Well, than that, what about the, the Ramah vis-a-vis poultry? Oh, very, very good. So, so this, this this is an interesting point because in the Ramag, and the Ramal is writing in the midpoint around the 1500s, 100 years earlier, give or take. Um, so poultry is explicit in the Torah. There's 24 species that are not kosher. And then the Gemara gives you signs. Because that's 24 species, species and subspecies. The Gemara gives you signs. What, you know, how the feet look and how the digestion is. And all of these shonim already say, we don't want to rely on the signs. There are cases that are mentioned of mistakes. You have to have tradition. And the Ramad comes along and he says, you have to have a tradition. That's very good. That means when you look at the halakhic process, there's what the Torah says, there's a, a lack of certainty which gets introduced in the Rishonim, in the Gemara Rishonim's time. And based on that, we have a halakhic consensus we can't rely on the names of the birds the Torah gives. You have to have tradition. That follows the very normal halakhic 
process. Mm. Whereas over here, the Torah says, if it chooses cud and it has split hooves, it's kosher. Ah. It doesn't tell you the difference between a chai and a behema. The Gemara lists what those are. None of the Bishonim are bothered by this. They're all, they're all trying to discuss what kind of horn is this, but at the very least, and the Ramah over by us didn't say you, you have to be stringent. On the contrary, you have to split hose if it chooses to cut its kosher. And, and the next sif after this in Shukhar Aruch, it says, what do, you, what do you do if you don't know if it's a behemoth or a chaya? You have to be stringent. What stringent mean? You don't eat the chaylid. And with other mitzvah, you have to do kisla and cover the blood, which is a separate thing. That means, in the Shulchan Aruch, it says, if you want to know if it's a chaya, look at its horns. If you're not sure, be stringent and don't eat the chaylid. But the animal itself is kosher. Right, so, so there's no question about the actual kosher status inherently of the animal. The question is just about the chaylev itself. So really, we have a lot more latitude over here as long as we're applying the criteria that the Torah gives us. Exactly, so, and, and the Ramah himself, the Ramah who's stringent by birds, is not stringent here. So if the shot is coming to say, we have to be stringent here like we are by birds, this makes it, this is very difficult to understand where it comes from, where does this pop up, and bigger why should this be? Whereas, whereas the other reading it is you can't eat an animal as being definitely a chaya, definitely a wild animal, meaning to permit the, the fats, the chaliv, that you can't do without a tradition. And this fits very nicely. Because what, what does it mean? Sif Aleph were saying in order to eat this as an animal, you have to know what the horns are. Sif Bet is if you don't know, you have to be stringent. What the shach is saying is, we don't rely on the horns, mm-hmm. and therefore, if you're not sure, you have to be stringent. And do what? Eat it as a suffix. Like, right. like we said by the birds, this now fits very nicely by the Why does this fit nicely by the birds? Because by the birds, we know certain types of kosher, or not kosher, let's say, and we say we don't want to rely on the names of it. Here mm-hmm. we have, there are certain animals that are chaya. We don't want to rely on the signs that are given. But it's a very small, limited question. We're not changing this whole. We're not changing this whole idea of what is called a kosher animal. Not no, no. of course it's kosher. It's split hooves. There's no reason to be strict about the split. About is it kosher animal? Of course it's kosher. It's split hooves and chooses cut. So it's a much smaller. And where did it come from? So this is another. This is an important point. Um, a lot of the halakha. Uh, is so to speak theoretical. What do you mean theoretical? You there wasn't much migration back in the day. If you were in Poland, you had the cows, you had the wild animals that you had. It means you had a tradition. You knew what the deer were. If there were other wild animals, you knew what they were. You're in the Middle East. You have let's say gazelle, antelope. Let's say you know what those animals are. That means this isn't such a, a relevant question. So Shach is saying over the past hundred years. We're not going to be lenient to eat the fat of an animal. That's just that's just kind of what happened. Meaning, it just came up this way. Mm-hmm. Now, so who says this? So this is really a machloket in the 1700s in the two approaches understanding the shach. We have the prima goddess written by Rabbi Yosef to Umim. He wrote a commentary on the shach, and he explicitly said that the shach says we don't eat it. It means we don't eat it, the fat of it. But of course, eat it. Why shouldn't we eat it? Of course, we can eat it. 
We don't need the fat. The, the Chachmas Adam, written by Avram Danzinger, also in the mid 1700s, he has a much more much more concise language. We don't eat any animals without a masora, and it's enough. We have, he has language of period. That's it. We don't eat if period. we don't have a masora. Okay. Right. And, and he mentions the tears being the example. Again, deer is very good because deer the antlers intrinsically are different. Okay. So now we come along. We have, and if both of them were in Lithuania. Um, one difference, by the way, one, one difficult pro problem is geography is constantly changing. But if you know the European history of the... Mm. <laughs> so that means if you're in Lithuania one day, you could be in Poland the next day. And you could right, be the borders Russia. are constantly shifting with every conflict. Right, so. but they're, they're same, more or less same geographic area. Now we shift to 1900s. So 1900s already, we, we have migration. We have mass migration. People leaving Europe, they're going to South America and South Africa and going to North America. They're traveling all over. We have people going to Australia now. You have mass migration, um, which is a new phenomenon. So now, now we're having these questions come up. So we're talking about 150 to 200 years after the Primagodim and the Shach wrote what they wrote their the works. Now we're trying to figure out. So what's the law? Can mm -hmm. you eat the animal? Like the prima god, just don't eat the, the, the fats, or you can't eat the animal at all at the Chachmas Adam. Now, right. now we're trying to figure out what was the halacha back then. We're used to having like Piske halacha, a, a, a safer like Mishnah Brewer that says we do X, but they mm -hmm. didn't have that. They had two far and they were wide. We need some, we need some like detective work over here. We need it, we need some way to investigate this, but we don't seem to have a lot of evidence. We're only working off the testimony of. Poskim who lived within their own limited area. Um, right. so, so this, have, this brings us really to the to the Chazanish, to his exactly. contention. So because now, now we have the Zibu, we have Herzog asking the Chazanish, is it kosher? And the Chazanish says that Lokha is like the Pachmas Adam. And he has really three three points about the three points that are very salient. Point number one, he says he happens that he thinks shot in the Shach. The simple reading of the Shach, like the, like the Chachmaz Adam. He says the Chachmaz Adam was the accepted Pusik. That means that's the safer we use. We use the Chachmaz Adam. So if you have a doubt, who do you turn to for the final resolution? The Chachmaz Adam. That's, that's, the way he, that's the way he says it. And he, he gives a little bit of, of an explanation. He says, where did the, where did the Shach get this? So the Shach lived with many other Gedolim, and you have to say that they, they're based in, came along and made a Takana, made it an act not to eat it. Meaning the Shach, the, the, the Chazanish is kind of developing a backstory, if you will. Right. That, the Chazanish seems to be positing that the Minag of Lithuania, whatever Lithuania was at the time, as you mentioned with that right. little caveat <laughs> there, um, followed the Chachmas Adam. Yet, I think what we're going to see is Rav Belsky, you know, I think we're, our session already is, uh, is past the halfway point, but Rav Belsky basically <laughs> just to get to his chuva, he seems to contend with that. Who's to say the men of Lithuania uh, necessarily followed the Chachmas Adam and the Chachmas Adam seemingly siding with that reading of the Shach based on what the Chazanish is contending. I, what right. I really love what Rebelsky said is he then he says, <laughs> Shemati Miki Kacho Shalagon Hadim around Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, okay. oh. that I heard from Yaakov Kamenetsky that Shaterim Kablu Karav, yeah, I'm going to butcher this. Uh, <laughs> 
Okay, some he says some small city in Lita. He's like, I have an opposite proof. Actually, not only did they not seem to follow the, the Shahir and the Chachmasana, but it seemed that they, they tested their new rabbis on did they know Prima Gadim well enough because that was the Minog HaMakom. So, right. and Minog HaMakom should follow then the Prima Gadim, who is the Matir in this case. So where's the Chazanish coming from saying that that's the Minog of Lithuania that we are beholden to now to the Chachmas Adam when clearly there are reports in the opposite direction saying we follow Prima Gadim. And then I guess it leaves you and I to think about, oh, I hear reports in both <laughs> directions. What do I do with this information? What is what? the Minog? <laughs> is there an established Minog? So, so, and this is very interesting on two points. One is, who do we take on the Chokmazad and Prima Gadim? It really is a machokis even nowadays. In order to throw where the, the Chazanish was here, they follow the Chokmazad. That is what they established, the Chokmazad. In America, wow. you actually do have a lot more of the Prima Gadim, meaning when you have a machokis, Chokmazad and Prima Gadim, you have the Prima Gadim taking more weight. And the many posts will say it's equal machokis. It's, it's something like a shakal, they call it. It's equal, equal machokis here. Um, but one, and one other point which Rabelsky makes is fascinating, which is, let's say the Lushas like the Chachmazadim. Let's say he was correct that there was such a minhag on this. But we don't find anybody quoting it and expl- and ruling like this for 200 years. Mm. I mean, the Chachmazadim was written in the 1700s. So even if the Chachmazadim really held what he held, and he said there's such a minhag, but if there's no, if the minhag isn't being done, we don't find any Rabbanim taking it on, explaining like it. In fact, to the contrary, there is some Rabbanim, we don't have time to go into the, all the names, but Kapchai and other Rabbanim, who assume the Chachmah Adam learned like the, the Prima Gadim. Meaning, there are even some who say that the Chachmah Adam Prima Gadim said that we don't eat animals nowadays. Ah. They, they put them all together. So for sure, you don't have a uh, practice of, of being strict. So if you don't have a practice of being strict, people are in custody. Even if the Allah should have the Chachmah Adam, who does we have to be strict now in these met? That's right. a major, major difference. And, that's, that's, and this and this is important because you know Ravelsky seems to not just simply say that you know I could see this way, I could see that way. It's shuckle. He seems to come down pretty um, ardently against the <laughs> Chazanish to the extent that actually at the end of the the first uh, iteration of the tshuva, I underline this. He says he quotes the Shulchan Aruch, which talks about a, a rabbi who makes such a flagrantly wrong psak uh, at a din Torah owes compensation to the party that he charged, and then he extrapolates and says, "Ritzon Lomar demisha asar leechad basmin she'en ala mesora That if a rabbi goes ahead and says that this piece of meat that you bought is usser and you cannot eat it because it doesn't have a mesora. And now this guy incurs a monetary loss because he had to throw out that piece of quote non-kosher meat. He says the rabbi actually owes restitution now. He has to pay Tashlumen. So like Rebelsky feels very strongly about this. That right. he's willing to go into the Dine Choshe Mishpat over here. Right. He's he's very, very, very convinced that Ikrib Sak is one small point where Velsko makes him dip in Shuba. I didn't get a chance to send this to you, but just a, a very important point also. Uh, this is a very fundamental concept. I want to mention it. 
Is there anything fundamental? Then we'll come to the conclusion. Yeah, we, 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 so we have, we have about four minutes left. So let's, uh, let's get the Iker idea. Yeah. Like what's the, what's the main takeaway from this Machlokas? And also if you could slip right in, what actually was actually the Maskana What do people do? So, so, so the, the, the last point, which was summing up, one, the one thing which Rubelski mentioned that it was, even if we take on in Europe to do something, this is an important point, in America, or you have mass population, mass shita, mm-hmm. we have to do things sometimes small, meaning the fact that a shochit in a village, when you had one cow, could be strict. When you deal with hundreds of cows, that's minimally strict. That's a general meaning. The fact that we had something that used to be in Europe, Nowadays, things are different. Rebelsky came out very strong. It's culture. It's for sure culture. What's interesting, even in Eretz's throne, this is fascinating. In Eretz's throne, so the, the, the Rabbi Yashiv, it came out in 2004. It was revealed that 90% of the meat was from Zebu or Zebu offspring. Oh, wow. and, all of a, and all of a sudden, everyone's like, well, what do we do? And that's just, by the way, we can't get into this, but it's not just the meat. About the filling we made on the parch on, on the parchment. You're talking oh, wow. about Sifri Torah that have the Giddin, that the, the the sinews. You're talking massive, massive upheaval. Right. What you the, the what you define as a cow has implications beyond Hilchos Kashras. I didn't even right. think it's, about that. Wow. So 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 the ruling Rabbi Yashiv and Rav, and Rav, uh, I think Rav Bosner and Mr. Corellis made it based in. And what they ruled is we're not not to eat seed itself because Kavnish said it. However, we don't feel we're of the offspring. There's other reasons we can't get into this. So therefore, since it's only, it has DNA of a Zivu, it's not an actual Zivu, it's a Zivu's third or fourth or fifth generation child is what's really lenient. And... It's the, no St. Um, Tom bar, no St. Tom at this point. Right. This question of Chodesh Yisrael, which again, we can't get into all the details there. <laughs> and Rabbi Zero Arbachshita, who's the son of Rabbi Yashiv, he wrote, the Iker stock is not like the Chazanish. However... Mm. On the Zibu al covered with Nish, on that he paskined, therefore that be stringent. But everything else, we don't have we don't we don't have to take that on. So that's so that's fascinating. Like we don't accept, like we say in principle that we don't agree with the Chazanish's assessment. But as you mentioned, because he's like the Mara de Asra, he basically, out of deference to the Chazanish, we're going to respect his sock in this very narrow, uh, localized area, not going Lefnimishur Sadin from anything that he actually said. Fascinating, yeah, I mean, fascinating. And that's why you can't get, you, the mice, you won't get, practically, you won't get, you won't get bison meat that's kosher, the Mahadrin in Israel, but all the punishment is all agree it's kosher. Wow. They won't, they, they won't do it, but everyone agrees with culture. The Rebelski is the Iker Laka, everyone agrees with that. This is remarkable. Right, Fishman, this is such a fascinating So yeah, Like, number one, I, I didn't know what a zebu was until you sent me this material. So, number one, I walk away knowing what a zebu is. Uh, number two, I walk away knowing that Ravelsky published his own actual Shiles and Chubos, which I feel terrible for not knowing beforehand. But I think, in a, as, as you were pointing out, in addition to this just being a, this isn't just simply a cautious question, this is a more fundamental question in understanding the halachic process, in understanding how do we figure out minhag, how do we figure out normative practice what if we are convinced of one way do we give deference to the other side of course th- there's only so much we can cover <laughs> um within 30 minutes okay. right rabbi fisher i want to thank you so much for taking us on this little bit of a safari today for <laughs> opening up us to this little debate which is actually a huge debate within kashras and uh, it should really give us an appreciation for how normative halachic practice has developed and how we uh eat our food today Thank you for the opportunity.
<laughs> Thank you. All right, Koltov and continue Hatzlacha and being Marbet's Torah in Yeshiva and uh, throughout all of your adventures. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Shoot First, Ask Questions Later. Please make sure to subscribe to get the latest updates. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate us and leave a review. Do you have a response to the response that you want to share on the show? Please send your letter to the editor to mitchellmkurtz at gmail.com. And God willing, we would love to consider your perspective to be shared on a future episode. This is Moshe Kurtz, and I look forward to reviewing more responses with you next time on Shoot First, Ask Questions Later.